Listening to sermons as we go about our days, driving around or doing our work, is a perfect reminder of our Lord's promises and of His mercies. This is the mission of Upper Room Media. To make the Word of God accessible to anybody and everybody. Welcome back for, as we continue our series... We are doing a series called Discovering the Covenant of Marriage, and this is our third week. We talked about how marriage is meant to be you guys can take this how marriage is meant to be not for our happiness, but for our holiness. And we talked about this and how it's it's very easy to feel like you're tired of your marriage or relationships in general, any relationship, friendships even. And again, I'm going to keep on kind of chiming in the, the young, maybe the college students, you're not married, why are we listening about marriage? You need to hear about it. You need to hear it from now until the day you get married, like we should do a topic for you every single week. Because marriage is so sacred and such a big, it's one of the main, it's the seven sacraments of our church. It is one of the greatest ways in which you will encounter God and you will encounter uh, the beauty of, of love. And so it's important that we learn how to get through this. And today, we are going to talk about the right way to fight. We're going to talk about the right way to fight. I want to ask you guys, let me get a show of hands. How many of you have struggled with conflict in your marriage or relationships? How many of you have struggled with conflict in your marriage or your relationships? Look around to the people who are not raising their hands. What do we call those people? Liars. Very good. They are liars. Those people are liars, and you will go to hell if you lie, okay? Lying is the lake of fire. It's not a good place to be. Liars are not good, okay? Don't tell me. I will forever have a job. I will forever have a job because of marriages and conflict in marriage. I will always, business will always be booming for the priesthood, okay? Because of, because of this. Conflict is real. You cannot tell me two people coming from two different worlds, two different backgrounds, two different upbringings, cultures, um, social statuses, spiritual levels, coming together to live in, in one house and you're trying to merge you're trying to merge and become one, but what happens in that merging? There's a lot of banging going on in that, okay? And so, very, very important, okay, for the people that, that don't have conflict, you guys don't have to listen to this. This is for us, this is for us humans, okay? <laughs> Today's talk is for humans only, okay? No couple, no matter how loving, is immune to conflict. It's inevitable. The average married couple argues about small nagging things, how many times per year? Give me a number. <laughs> 300, 312 times a year. So basically, we're talking about every day. There, there's times where you take business trips, so you don't see your wife on that day. So, so 312 times a year. This is like research. I'm, I'm giving you like these random numbers. You're like, who counted that? There, there's research. They, they'll take couples and they'll monitor and they'll check in. 312 times a year, average married couple argues about small nagging things. It just means that conflict is endemic. Fighting 
is intrinsic to marriage. It's, it's, it's just as intrinsic in marriage as, as sexual relationship is. It's just as regular and important and, and real to the relationship. All couples fight. And what you need to discuss today is how to fight correctly. Because what matters is how we fight, not whether we fight. Because you will fight. You will fight, right? Everybody has a different opinion. Everybody wants a different color ornament on the Christmas tree. Everybody wants a different meal tonight. Everybody wants to de decorate the room a different way. You're going to fight. But the most important thing is to understand how we fight, not whether we fight. A lot of people say, we want to just stop fighting. Let me know how it goes. Let me know if you can just stop fighting, just like that. And this determines the closeness of your relationship. And I tell this to couples all the time. Sometimes I get couples. I don't know if I said it here. I don't know what I said where. So maybe if, if I'm saying it again, I'm going to repeat it. I get an engaged couple. They're, they're dating and I'm doing premarital counseling. And they've you know, been, they dated for like six, seven months. And then they got engaged. And then I said, okay, tell me about your fights. They said, Abuna, we don't fight. Then they got married. And then they fight. 312 times a day, not 312 times a year. I'm like, shame on you that you don't fight. They're like, what do you mean, Abuna? I'm like, shame on you. You're supposed to fight. Then you're being too, like, guarded or superficial with your, with your, in your relationship. You're kind of just playing it safe. We just talk about the sports and the news and whatever, but we're not being real with each other. We're not discovering each other. So two people who are encountering each other in a very real way and discovering each other, are going to have differences. And so you are going to fight. It's inevitable. Researchers identified what separates happy from not-so-happy relationships. And one answer surfaces every time. The people that have a lock on healthy conflict resolution, people that can resolve their conflicts in a healthy way, those are the people that have happy relationships. They know how to fight well. You grow from fights, right? You know what really pushed somebody's button next time. Hopefully you don't push them that way. Like you learn better things. You learn what is sensitive to them. You learn about yourself, how you fight, maybe how aggressive you are, how rude you are, how insensitive you are, how un-understanding you are. You start to discover these things in fights and you start to realize, wait a second, there's things about me that need to change and there's things about our relationship that grow. So if we fought about this one thing, whatever it may be, next time we understand how the other one views this topic, or whatever it may be. Sherry and I, on our honeymoon, okay, Sherry told me, we were dating, engaged, she's like supposedly an all-star volleyball player, okay, she's an all-star volleyball player. So go to the honeymoon, finish the craziness of the wedding, we fly, go to the honeymoon, Go to sleep, wake up, beach place, beautiful, whatever. There's a beach volleyball court. I said, this is perfect. I have an all-star wife, right? We are going to take on the whole resort, me and her against everybody, okay? And so we're playing beach volleyball, and first one goes to Sherry, and she misses it. I'm like, Sherry, you okay? Like, everything? Okay. <laughs> Next one, Sherry, like, I don't know, the, the sand was whatever, and so she starts tripping and falling. I'm like, wait a second, wait, did I marry the wrong person? You said you were good at volleyball. And I just challenged all the men on this beach for me and you. We're going to take them. 
And we started arguing, and big, this is day one. Day one was going to be the last day of our marriage. <laughs> Stupid argument. We're arguing, and whatever. So many times, literally, she ran away from me. We argued, and, and, and I said, okay, I'm not going to chase her. Like, keep going. You know, like, there's no, we're on an island. Where else are you going to go? This was like day one. And I felt like God was trying to tell me, this is marriage, right? All the photographer and the cheese, all that stuff is funny in the wedding. Day one is the real marriage, right? But in every argument, there's something that you have to be aware of. You know, I was, I was reading about a couple. They were, they were fighting, and one, one woman wanted to go, and she wanted to, like, they're on vacation, husband and wife. They left the kids at home. They're, like, enjoying this beautiful, like, anniversary, and they're going. I don't know where they went. And they're enjoying a really good time. And before at the end, she's like, you know, honey, I really want to get sweatshirts for um, the kids before we go. And so there's no response. Like, we're having a perfect time. We're going out to dinners and quality time, no kids. And then he's like, you know, we should really get, you know, double-decker buses, because they were in London, I guess. We should get these double-decker buses in America. And she's like, honey, did you hear me? And he's like, he's saying, like, I love how they, like, can arrange for everybody to go and take the tours. And it's a busy... And she's like, honey, are you hearing me? I need to get sweatshirts before... We're like, the vacation is ending. And they start going at it. Yeah, I heard you. We don't need to. Like, the kids don't need sweatshirts. She felt like... He doesn't care that this is like a big deal for her. And they start bickering. And all of a sudden, they walk by and there's like a sign that says, um, come visit the war room. The war room. It was like some show that there was going to be or some type of activity. Come visit the war room. And in the middle of bickering, the husband says, hey, honey, we should probably go in there. And she started laughing and they started joking and smiling. And they found a turning point in the middle of an argument to be able to kind of settle down the, the, the heat of the moment. It's really important that in the middle of a fight, when you're in the middle of heated arguments, that you would find a turning point, something to kind of change the, the, the mood. Like I hear this all the time, like two people are fighting, and all of a sudden the next person comes and says, Oh, I brought your favorite cake. Like, there's tension. You know, or I made you a cup of coffee. There's tension. We're mad at each other. We don't want to talk to each other. And all of a sudden says, Hey, honey, do you want that uh, French vanilla creamer in your coffee? And all of a sudden, what happens? It's a turning point. Yeah, yeah, sure, I'll take one. Or, like, honey, you want me to scratch your back? You know, like, like some people, like, they always want, like, back scratches, right? And so, sure, like, if, if they're going to offer the back scratch, I don't care what you, we were fighting about. It's all gone if I'm going to get a free back scratch, right? There's got to be something in which you find a turning point. It's not worth it. Me and my wife, we were going to get a divorce over a beach volleyball game. Like, here we are, we'd be sitting saying, you know, whatever happened to my life, it was that stupid beach volleyball court. Like, we couldn't get along. Be careful of the little things that start to kind of get spiced up and a little bit heated when God is sometimes flashing opportunities for a turning point in an argument. Because what happens is we all know that arguments create a lot of resentment, conflict, anger, hurt, pain, and when we're angry, we start to say things that we don't mean. We start to, like, you know, 
dig at each other, your marriage is going to be so much stronger because of it. And this is not just for marriage, any relationship, any relationship, any friendship that maybe you bicker as friends or your siblings, or, and you've got to find these things that it applies to all relationships. So we've got to get to wise marital fights. How to have a wise marital fight? Like I said, a fight is meant to grow you. And if you don't fight, you're not growing. There has to be some tension. There has to be some friction. There has to be some differences. And if you don't have that, then again, you're just keeping at a safe distance. One of my kids, you know, you know, there's, whenever it's like test time or heated time, you say, fine, dad, if you want us to argue, we just don't need to talk tomorrow. I'm like, no, 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 we need to learn how to deal with each other. Even if there's like a little bit of tension, it's not like that's it. We're never going to talk to each other and we're going to have a perfect, you know, father-son relationship. No, we have to learn how when we deal with each other that we can resolve our conflicts. There's always factors that contribute to a fight, different stressors, motives. People have different motives in an argument, different stressors, different expectations, different perceptions of, a, of an issue. And I don't know. Maybe you're thinking, I don't know what he's thinking or going through. How many times in the middle of a fight, somebody's being snappy about the dishes or the laundry or you didn't pick up the groceries and you're, you're arguing about nothing. You, you got to ask and say, okay, why are they, is it really the dishes? Are we really going to go at it because of the dishes? We have to be able to take a step back and say, honey, something, something's not right. Is, did something bother you today? Yeah, the dishes. Okay, believe it or not, nine times out of ten, it's really not the issue. What's boiling inside is something else, and so it's manifested in the ditches. A lot of our sins are manifested in different ways than really what's going on. A lot of it is a problem of the heart. You have a heart problem. You have something that has wounded your heart in some way. And so the manifestation, what, what's coming out, is arguing about who picked up the kids, or how much we spent on the bills yesterday, or this decision that we made. Be careful of those things. And be careful. There are these, like I said, everybody has a different perception, a different expectation of a conflict. Right? Two people were uh, going something, and, and some, some incident happened. There was an accident. Everybody saw the accident and why the accident happened from a different perspective. Okay? And because of that, these are little landmines. You guys ever watch those movies where there's these underground bombs that as you're walking on the sand, you have to watch where you're walking because these landmines can just explode based on where you step? That's the same thing with marriage and any relationship. There are hidden landmines based on your different expectations, your different perceptions, your different moods, your different stressors that are going on in your life. How about winning the chore war? Maybe, how many of you guys ever heard one of this, one of these? It would be nice if you carried your, rate, your weight around the house, you know, doing laundry. And so maybe the spouse will say, are you actually saying I don't help out? And what is the wife saying? Yes. Do I need to spell it out for you? 
And he says, what are you talking about? But like, you know I was traveling this week and you know that I had to stay up late for work and you know that the baby wasn't sleeping last night and so I had to do whatever. And so all of these, we have these like chore wars in which we're all figuring out what's going on. Why is our trash overflowing? Come on, you know that like I came home late last night. You were just sitting there. Why didn't you take out the trash? Very stupid thing. And conflict comes and all of a sudden we start to do what? And as you go through the house, Let's say my wife says, you didn't, you didn't wash the dishes today and you were just at home you know, for, for a couple hours. What am I doing as I'm going through the house? Looking for something that she left. So what's the first place I go? What's the first place I go? Men, where do you? The master bathroom with the makeup and the whatever. And I'm looking for one piece of dust from the makeup. And I'll be like, did you see this thing? Like, did you know that we like one that you like? You're telling me about the whatever, and I'm, we start to look, and we start to create a case for the argument. How many of you can identify with this? She pointed out the dishes or the laundry, and you're saying, all right, sweetheart, I got the white glove. Let's go for it. <laughs> Let's go at it. You know, you start to like, oh, the dusting yesterday wasn't very successful. And we start to do these things. You're building a case and reloading your ammunition for the moment, the battle starts again. Each person is so concerned about winning the fight than resolving it. Now, I'm a, I'm a competitive person. Like I, 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 you heard the first story about the volleyball. Or whatever. I'm competitive. And so in my mind, subconsciously, I want to win. I want to win. And I have to understand what this mentality is doing is that I'm concerned about winning the fight versus saying, so do you remember what happened last time? Do you remember what happened last time? Who was right? I was right. No, you weren't because you blah, blah. And we we start another fight. We keep on going. You're like, this is our priest? (laughs) Yes, it is. And you're stuck with me forever. And what happens? We start to belittle each other. We start to belittle each other and put each other down. We're going to talk about the different ways and things that we need to do. Look at the differences. When good fights stay clean, bad fights, they get dirty. So look over here at this chart. This is all from research. Things that make the difference of of, of a clean fight versus a dirty fight. A bad fight is winning the fight that the other person has lost and knows that they are a sinner, and they should be very, very sure that they have ruined our day. The good fight is, well, I'm glad that we we fixed this together. The topic could be just any surface issue. A good fight gets to the underlying issue. Remember I was talking about, we're not arguing about dishes. You're stressed. We're getting to, like, what's really going on. Maybe we're too busy. It's not about, you know, you know, Well, you just walked by and didn't say hi. It's not that he didn't say hi. It's that we're too busy. The emphasis, personalities and power struggles, that's like a bad fight versus ideas and issues. An attitude, confrontational and defensive. So confrontational versus cooperative and receptive. We're going to talk about these in a little bit. So I'm confronting you, and people say, well, confrontation is very good. But if the confrontation is going to cut me down, then that's going to end up in a bad fight. 
Because you confronted me, what's my natural response? I get defensive. No, I didn't, but you did this. It's normal. But the goal is, a good fight is to cooperate with each other, is receptive. So sometimes you ask, okay, what was the point of you telling me that? What, did, what was the result that you thought was going to come out of you attacking me and confronting me in that way? Did you think we were going to like end up in hugs and kisses and this is like, let's go out for a date, sweetie? Never. But versus like, hey, we have an issue. We need to talk this through. Maybe there's something going on. Um, I didn't realize how much you're carrying. I didn't realize how much of a load you are bearing. And so let's, let's talk about this because I have expectations, but I know it's going to be really hard for you to meet them. So let's talk about how we can manage these two things together. Motivation to shift blame versus take responsibility. A bad fight says, why didn't you do this? Because you didn't do this. Versus take responsibility. You're right, I should have done that. I had, I had a little bit of time, I could have done that. We're going to talk about how to break these up. The mode is to belittle somebody. It's because you're a mess. It's because you're messy and you're, you're just, you're all over the place. Versus respect. To say, you're dealing with a lot. That's why. Like nobody should have to balance kids and work and cleaning and service and friendships and managing the house and paying the bills. And that's a lot. You're carrying a lot. So what can we figure out? The manner. Egocentric versus empathetic. Egocentric is like all about me, my ego. Centered around my ego. Versus... Empathy, like feeling for the other person, putting myself in the other's shoes. The demeanor is self-righteous. Of course you should do it this way. Who doesn't know that we should do it this way? Everybody knows that it should be done this way. Self-righteous. I know how to do things right versus understanding. Maybe in your house, like you guys didn't clean very much, and so that must be hard for you to know how to be clean. I'm just joking. <laughs> Your parents were slobs, and I can understand why it's so hard for you to clean, right? <laughs> the side effect, escalation of tension versus easing of tension. You know, like, but I know men, this is what you're going to do. The tension is, get, the wife is getting tense. And so the husband says, all right, honey, just give me a hug. And she's like, can we just not think about sex right now? Can we just have a, like a normal talk? Like we have a problem. And he's like, okay, just give me a hug. Just give me a hug. Just give me a hug. No, she, that's not how we de-escalate tension, okay? That it's not just about the ease of tension through, let me just give you a hug. A hug. But it's to say how we can kind of calm things down. It's all right. Take a breath. Let's work this through. Result, discord or division. For a good fight, the result is harmony. Can you understand that a good fight, this is a quality fight, that when you have it, it's a blessing for your home if it ends up in harmony. And the benefit is stagnation in your marriage. Your marriage becomes kind of sleepy, not really revived. There's no fire in it. There's no excitement in it. Stagnation and distance versus growth and intimacy. Remember how when I talked about this whole concept of is marriage meant to make me happy or to make me holy? I need to become holy. And so if this is going to teach me something, then there's going to be growth. There's going to be connection. 
You're going to feel so bonded that we grew from this, that I'm starting to work on my anger, and you're starting to work on your respect, and we're starting to kind of encourage one another, grow, and all of a sudden, do you remember what we used to be? Remember how we are now? So beautiful. So these are the differences between a good fight and a bad fight. If you were to summarize all of this in the bad fight, what is the root of it? What's the root of the bad fight? Pride. Pride is the main cause of conflict. Proverbs 13.10 says this, By pride comes nothing but strife, but with, well advised, but with the well-advised is wisdom. So by pride comes nothing but strife. If you have pride, your fights are there to teach you that you're proud. Remember in the very, very first talk I said, your marriage, is, or your marriage partner is supposed to be a mirror to you they should be showing you in the way that you're interacting with them that you have pride. That as you're looking into this argument, you're saying, this is all about my pride. I can't say sorry. I can't say um, that's my mistake. I can't own up to it. I don't talk with respect. I, all of these things start to happen because of what? Pride. Anybody here not struggle with pride? Again, this, this meeting is for humans. So, so if, you're, if you're human, we all deal with pride. We all got a little bit of ego. We got a little bit of stubbornness. We got a little tension. That's normal. But the goal is, is that you are not supposed to be like that forever. So for our young people who are not married and you're searching for a spouse, a person that does not want to work on pride, forget pride. That's why we do the spiritual life. That's why we say find a person, a, a young man or woman that loves God because they're going to be working on their pride. If they don't love God, ain't no chance they're going to be able to overcome pride or selfishness. Never. There is a 0%, 0% chance that they will ever stop being proud, arrogant, stubborn, ever. Forever and ever and ever and ever. Is that clear? If there's no spiritual life work, because then my goal is no longer becoming holy, it's becoming happy, and you make me happy, not I make you happy. Pride is going to destroy everything. A prideful spirit keeps us from cooperating, being flexible, respecting, and compromising. Take a look at this again. A prideful spirit keeps us from cooperating. We're trying to cooperate with each other, to work with each other. Being flexible. You're not going to be flexible if you're proud. And again, like I said, all of us might deal with pride, but me in the presence of God reminds me that I'm a sinner, that I need to repent, that I need to be humble, that I need to talk gently. The virtues will make you do that. If you don't have any of those virtues, I'm telling you, zero chance this person's ever going to change. You can't change without the Holy Spirit. You cannot change without the Holy Spirit. I'm going to repeat it again. You cannot change without the Holy Spirit. person doesn't care about the Holy Spirit, doesn't know who the Holy Spirit is, then this is your spouse forever and ever and ever. Let's enjoy it. This is why we talked to the young people before, to scare you, okay? <laughs> it is better to lose, I found this quote, it is better to lose your pride to the one you love than to lose the one you love for your pride. Pay attention, couples, because we deal with a lot of Marital conflict. And we're losing our spouses. They hate you. 
They hate you. You say, why? But she, because you're so proud. Like you're so proud, no one can talk to you. God himself, if he were to appear to you, nothing would change. I don't care what the Bible says. Really? I don't know what to tell you after that point. After that moment, you, you, good luck. If you're getting to know somebody now, you tell that person, we can't be the way we are. We have to be all in. We need to be examining ourselves, working on these things, because the fruit of all of these, this bad list over here, is all coming from, from pride. The motto of a proud person in a fight is, the only unfair fight is the one that you lose. So a proud person is thinking, I will not lose this fight. So what's going to happen? They're going to keep on pushing and pushing and pushing and proving and collecting ammunition and looking up evidence to find how that they're going to win the argument. Believe it or not, a partner will continue an argument. I read this statistic. A partner will continue an argument 34% of the time even if they know they're wrong. Even if they know they're wrong, they're going to keep on going. Why? My pride. I'm not going to let it down. I can't have you the satisfaction of knowing that I was wrong. Now I want to dig deeper. Why are people like that? There's a lot of people that have no self-worth. They didn't have self-worth in the home. They were constantly put down. They weren't loved. They never felt like they were anything. And so what they're doing is they're defending the last ounce of dignity that they think they might have by defending this one issue. Like, why can't you just say sorry? Why is this such a big deal? Just like own up to it. You know why? Maybe I'm so deeply insecure. I was always put down. I cannot admit one more mistake. I'm not good at this. I'm not good at this. I'm not good at this. Now you're trying to tell me I'm not good at this as well? No way. I'm going to guard it with my life. Do you understand how that works? Be careful because pride fuels defensiveness and discord. Pride, insecurities manifest themselves also as, proud, as pride. Okay? So an insecure person, I'm insecure about the way I sing. Okay? So I'm going to overcompensate my self-worth in the way that I preach, right? Because here I am, I don't want to, like, so if you say anything about my preaching, when, okay, I know I'm not good at singing, but, like, maybe I'm a good preacher, maybe I'm a good mom, or I'm good at organization, whatever it is, and now you're telling me I'm not organized? I already don't think anything good about myself except for this one thing, and so I'm going to start to be proud about it, that you are, you're picking at it. I'm organized. Like I know the one thing I do have is that I'm organized and you're picking at it. So now, in my eyes, I'm a zero. Your poor spouse thinks they're a zero. Imagine what is going on and so you as a spouse need to be a healer. You're saying, is this person going to be mature enough to heal me when I'm down? And am I mature enough to offer healing to the other person? Look, she was just cute, and he was cute, and they have a nice job, and that was it. No. Do you see how much junk we have inside? We're supposed to be healers for one another, and the best way to heal is even through our fights. 74% will fight on, on, 74% will fight on even if they're feeling it's a losing battle. The antidote for pride is humility. 
The antidote for pride is humility. We pray this in the Agbeya every day. The first hour, so when the church tells you pray the Agbeya, the church is framing your mind every morning. You wake up, you rise with the mind of resurrection, right? Because Jesus rose in the first hour. And so I'm framing my mind. And so we read this Pauline epistle before we even get to the Psalms. It says, with all lowliness and gentleness. Like, good morning, God. God's telling me, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Imagine, our church prayers are telling you every single morning. You might even be praying it. You might be praying it faithfully. And you have no clue that you actually are supposed to be doing it. You're, like, you're not just saying it because that's just part of, like, that's page three of the Akbayah. I'm actually supposed to be lowly, gentle. Long-suffering is different than patience in the, in the Greek word. Long-suffering is always towards people. The word long-suffering is always directed at people versus patience can be during a trial. So long-suffering with others. Bearing with one another in love. Bear with them. Bear with them. Okay, my husband is stressed these days. He's going through a lot. My wife lost a loved one. She, the, the, the kids are, are, are teenagers now, and so they're going through a funk. She's going through a lot. Bear with her. She's not happy right now. Bear with her. Endeavoring. Do you guys know what endeavoring is? Endeavoring is like, like seeking actively, like really giving all of your energy towards to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is our prayer every single day morning. You might have prayed this prayer. If you are 40 years old, you might have prayed this prayer 7,000 times and you never thought about it once. Maybe not even in your marriage. Amba Bachomius says this, the humble considers all people to be better than he is. The humble considers all people to be better than he is. We're going to read in a, in a little bit a, a verse from Philippians 2. Marriage is not, once again, meant to make you happy, but to make you hold. You know, humility is very risky. What happens when you're humble in front of your spouse? What happens when you're humble in front of your spouse and, and in your mind you're saying, if I own up to it or I say sorry, you know what they're going to do? I don't know what this word means in, in, in English. Like they're going to like basically throw it at my face every single day. That Remember? Remember? Remember the last fight? Humility, okay, humility is not to make your spouse happy. It's to make God happy. Hum Remember we said we're trying to become holy. So when I humble, when I humble myself, you are attracting the grace of the Holy Spirit in your life. But my wife, it's risky. Or my husband, they might walk all over my humility. And then I'm going to become but you have now opened the heavens to all of your prayers. Which one do you want? And then when you start to pray, you start to move God's heart towards your wife or your husband, that humility is going to change their life because they're going to see Christ in front of them. Again, we are not trying to make each other happy. The goal of not fighting or getting through a good fight is so that we would be a happy marriage. It's so that we would be a holy marriage. 
I really want you to understand this concept. Humility is so risky. It sets you at risk of being played or being made to look like the fool. It's the most beautiful thing in the eyes of God, though. Humility is the attraction of the grace of the Holy Spirit. For thus says, this is Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the high and lofty one, God, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. God says, I dwell with the humble. You want to know whose side God is on in the fight? If, if you want to know whose side God is on in the fight, it's going to be the humble one. That's the side that he's on. Today in the gospel, we had a Pharisee and we had a sinner woman. Sinner woman is a bad lady. Pharisee, probably a good guy, does a lot of prayers, does a lot of good things on the outside. Jesus says, I like this one. I'm going to be with this one. I'm going to bless this one. This one is going to go back restored. Humble yourselves. Now I'm telling you to change your mind because every ounce in you is to win the fight and to prove that you are the good one. But everything that the Holy Spirit is going to tell you is go down. The word humility, original word for humility is of the earth, like dust. That's humility, to become nothing. Listen, James 4, 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You want to win the fight? You want to be on top in the fight? It's by being humble. Make sure that both people are listening to this in the, in, in the marriage. Believe me, guys, this is hard. I'm not telling you, we don't preach fluffy stuff in here. This is not Disneyland over here, okay? This is to make you like Christ. This is for husbands and wives and mothers and fathers to be like Christ. You might be miles and miles and miles away from step one, but today can be the beginning. Today can be the beginning. Okay, let's discover what is the substance of a good fight. It's these four things. So the acronym CORE, so your, your ability to remember this, is the acronym CORE. First one is cooperation, ownership, respect, and empathy. And we're going to talk about these. These things are the ways that you will have the substance of a good fight. Cooperation is the first one. And there's a study that says that... Per says the person that says we the most during arguments suggests the best solutions. So once again, we users, like, we should probably do this. We should have done something different with the kids. We should have stayed home yesterday and cleaned the house. We could have done this, okay? We users have a sense of shared interest that sparks compromise and other ideas pleasing to both partners. You tell me how it would work if you said you. You didn't, or you did, or you should have, or you could have. All that does is shift blame, and it brings a lot of hurt, okay? Now you, spouses who use the second person pronouns you, tend toward negativity in interactions. You tend to criticize, disagree, justify, and otherwise lean towards negativity. I want you to think about how many times you've said you to your friend, your spouse, your significant other. 
You've said you, you, you. How about we? How about we start praying together? How about we spend more time? Let's say I read the Bible every day. And my spouse is a heathen and they never want to read the Bible. We should read the Bible. We need to read the Bible. As opposed to you need to read the Bible. No, we need to read the Bible. Have that. Your father confession should be doing the same thing as well. That when you come in, you say that even when Abuna comes to take communion from another Abuna, Abuna says, absolve me as he's about to take communion. The other priest who, who celebrated the liturgy should say, may God absolve you and absolve me. Look at the spirit of the church. That I'm thinking that may God absolve you for your sin and may God absolve me. I'm also a sinner. And so it's this concept of cooperation with each other. Cooperation is a skill that can be learned. The more you practice it, the easier it gets. By practicing this concept of, I'm trying to cooperate for a positive result. I want you to think about, again, what is the fruit of the statement that you told your significant other when you said, you know, you could have done this. Maybe they're not humble yet. It's going to take a lot of humility for them to say you're right. So if you say, we could have done this, you say, you know what? That will make it easier for a person to say, I agree, we could have done this. That's my fault. Actually, it wasn't your fault. You did this. I didn't do it. It's easier. Make the door open. Make it easier for a person to be humble as well. Don't make them, don't push them off a cliff and expect them, okay, to like try to feel like they have hope in, 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 in this relationship or in this, this conflict when you've already pushed them off a cliff. Be careful. Give them the open door to kind of like come and to resolve things. The key to cooperation is found in reframing a conflict from a win-lose to a win-win. Your conflict is not a competition. I want you to think about the conflicts that you have, and it's about proving the other one wrong, making sure that I won. We always want to be the winner in the conflict. We always want to be the winner. And if somebody loses, everybody loses. I want you to understand this. In relationships. If somebody lost in this argument, everybody lost. Everybody lost. Nobody's happy. There's going to be resentment. There's going to be shame. There's going to be guilt. There's going to be insecurity. So be careful of that. Win-win is a frame of mind that wants mutual benefit. I want us both to benefit from the conflict. If you win, I win too. What happens if there is no mutual agreement? Not every argument is going to be a win-win. Not every argument is going to be like that. Can you get to a point where it's not where one person wins and the other one loses, but we agree to disagree? We, can, we tried. We went at it. I'm not going to shove it down your throat until you know that I'm right. Okay, we agree to disagree until maybe God makes it clear for us. Be careful if you're one of those people that has to prove it. You have to keep pushing the button. Make sure that they know that they lost this argument. If you're that person, get to the point where you can say, let's just agree to disagree, and maybe God will open up the eyes of your, your partner, your spouse, your friend to be able to heal this. Next one is, look at Philippians 2, 3 to 5. It says, this is St. Paul saying, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. 
But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Does that manifest in your fights? Are you letting the other person feel that they are better than you? Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's the most important line. You're saying, okay, why would I say that they're better than myself? He's saying, because this is the mind of Jesus. The mind of Christ says, no, honey, you're more important to me. You are more important than me. No, honey, you're right. This is the mind of Christ. This isn't just a good person. This isn't a good spouse. He says, therefore, we let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who became a servant. But not you. You're the master. You're the king. You're the queen. You're the boss. You're the husband who everybody should submit to. No. The mind of Christ is this. Husbands, love your, your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her because the church he lifted above himself. Better than himself. Okay? Ownership. Saying I'm sorry. Ask yourself what portion of the pie you've contributed to. Let's say we have a big blow up. Whatever's going on, whatever conflict there is. Remember I said this in the past, even if 1% of it is your fault, even if 1% of it is your fault, is it fair for me to say, hey, you did all of these things or say, you know what? I just want you to know we have a big problem. I know that I could have done this one thing. Take ownership for something. Take ownership for whatever conflict. Otherwise, you end up playing, playing the blame game. You did it. It was your fault. This is why our kids are this way, because of you, because you spoiled them. How many of us, we, we, we hear this in homes or we say it, you spoiled them. You were too tough with them. You are too passive. You didn't want to be spiritual. You didn't want us to go to church. You wouldn't wake up in the morning. You didn't want to get a job. You, and we just keep on going and going and going and going. Take ownership. Take ownership of your portion of it. Be careful. The blame game makes you think that you got off the hook. You have nothing to do with this. There's always something that has contributed to this environment in home. You have contributed, if you guys are living in the same home and you guys are raising the same kids, you've contributed to some factor in this. Like, maybe you messed this up, but my kid is stubborn because of me. Like, my kid is stubborn because of me. You messed it up because you let the kids go out with their friends and do whatever, and, and then... But they're stubborn because of me. That's why it didn't go well. Okay, maybe they let the kids go out with the wrong kid, but they're stubborn because of me. This is very, very hard. I want you to think about in boxing, right? One of two things happens when we blame our spouse and we shift responsibility. One of two things happen. Either we block the punch with an excuse, so they're punching you, and you say, no, 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 I didn't do that because... There was traffic. Everybody, everybody's in traffic whenever there shouldn't be traffic. Or a counterpunch. So either I make an excuse because you're shifting blame on me, so I'm going to make an excuse and get defensive, which is not good. Or I'm going to counterpunch and say why you're messed up and why you hurt us and why you 
put, put us into this situation. This core, cooperating, second thing is ownership. We need to take ownership. What are some ways that we can do this? How about it's unfair for me to think that you could balance the checkbook with the type of week that you had. Okay, right? Say, well, aren't you supposed to balance the checkbook? Aren't you the one that's taking care of the finances? You say, it's unfair for me to think that you could have done that when you were so busy. Take, be, be a little bit sensitive. Or, I didn't think you would drive as slow as you did. That's my mistake. No, I'm joking. I'm, that one. <laughs> I didn't think you were going to be driving like a turtle. That's why we're late. No, like, say, I know we were rushed or whatever. Maybe I came a little bit late and we could have had the, the laundry done yesterday. Sorry about that. My mistake. Figure out what your part is. Let me tell you something, though. This is the holiness part. Admitting our mistakes or imperfection opens us up to being critiqued. If you take ownership of your mistake, then the other one, you open it up to say what? I told you this before. Every time I've told you this, you just don't want to listen. You're opening yourself up to that. But this is the holiness part. Admitting our mistakes, okay, admitting our weaknesses makes us, believe it or not, so vulnerable to rejection. But it's pleasing in the eyes of God. Take ownership. Take ownership to what's going on. Next one is, in the, in the ownership, when you're wrong, admit it. When you're right, what? Shut up. Don't say anything. Don't rub it in their face. If you're right, stay quiet and move on with your day. There is no win-win. I'm sorry, there's no win-lose. It's a win-win. If you're right, just be quiet. If you're wrong, say, it's my mistake. This will open up more opportunities and encouragement for your spouse to be vulnerable again. Ownership takes a lot of courage. All right, next one is respect. Good fighters steer clear of belittling. Everyone, everyone wants and needs respect. Everyone. Look what St. Paul says in Ephesians 5.33. Nevertheless, this is the passage where he talks about marriage and husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and wives submit to your husband. That passage, the last verse. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. He says, love his wife and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Imagine, St. Paul understands the, the, the formula. The husband really needs respect. And so does the wife. Listen to what 1 Peter 3, 7 says. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife. As to the weaker vessel, weaker does not mean weak, means delicate, like a piece of glass. Delicate. They're emotionally delicate. And as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Giving honor to the wife. We all need respect, so be careful. If you are going to a point where you are belittling your spouse. Too often we cut down our spouses with sarcasm or sarcastic. How many of you guys, maybe you won't say anything, but you roll your eyes. You're an eye roller. An eye roll is, I would rather you curse me than roll those eyes. Okay? <laughs> Just like, you know, like, <laughs> that's another form of disrespect. It's another form of disrespect. 
And if you think, well, I didn't say anything, but I rolled my eyes, that's not very graceful. A famous researcher of couples who did more research on conflict in marriage than anyone else, his name is John Gottman. He says, somebody asked him, what is the most detrimental to a couple's well-being? Very easy, he said, contempt. Contempt, okay? Contempt is any belittling remark that makes your spouse feel like they're an inch tall. Any remark that makes them feel so big, that's contempt. He says that is the number one thing that, is, that creates the biggest conflicts. How about this? Sarcasm. Way to go, Einstein. Like, hey, Captain Obvious. You know, like th these, these, these cheap shots that we give to each other. And oh, it's a cheap shot. It's disrespectful. It's not the way of Christ. Again, remember what our standard is? We're trying to be like Jesus. Not good people. Our goal is not to be good, but to be like God. To be like God. So be careful of these verbal and nonverbal things. It doesn't have to be spoken. Like I said, it's an eye roll. When you do that, you're, you're telling them, I don't approve of you. Or disdain or dishonor. You can't have a good fight without respect. Because I'll tell you what respect does. It creates safety in a relationship. If two people respect each other and they're showing respect that when we're in a conflict and you know I'm not going to cross the line, then it's safe to own up. You create safety when you have mutual respect. But all of a sudden one person is not respectful, the other person doesn't feel what? They don't feel safe in the marriage or in the relationship. They don't feel like they can be vulnerable. They don't feel like they can be real. We have a lot of repenting to do. Listen to what Benjamin Franklin says. He says, respect ensures, this is how you respect, that even when we don't say the right thing, we leave unsaid the wrong thing at the tempting moment. So even though maybe we've said something not right, but you make sure that you don't say the wrong thing when you're tempted to. You bite your tongue. You zip your mouth. You make sure that you don't cross one more step for that. And then the last thing is empathy. So core, you said cooperation, ownership, respect, and empathy. Good fighters step into each other's shoes. Put yourself in their shoes. Find out what they're going through. Sense them. Isn't that what Jesus did? We're trying to be like Christ. Christ saw us broken people, and what did he do? He came into our human nature, our human flesh. And he understands and he can identify with us. He is our aid. He is a, we do not have a high priest that cannot sympathize with us in our weaknesses. Why? Because he became like us. Put your, your feet into their shoes. Be careful. Make sure that you don't have a lack of understanding. Validate that you understand where they're coming from. You say, I understand where you're coming from. I can get why you're so stressed. Because how difficult it must have been for you to do with all of these things. Validate them. I know it's not easy to talk to little two-year-olds all day for stay-at-home moms. They're, they're going crazy because the, the kid is asking them 10,000 questions, talking their head off, especially if it's a little girl, right? They're just talking their heads off. And you come home, you have all these expectations. You don't realize that the poor thing is drained. You say, I know it must be so hard not being able to have like adult conversations all day. You must be so drained. Validate them. Be empathetic. Have you ever said, I just don't understand him? We'll just be talking and he blows up out of nowhere. Ask yourself, 
Why is he blowing up? He must, there must be something in his life that he doesn't want to share. Maybe I haven't created a space for him to want to share. I'm a difficult person. I shoot, I poke, I insult. So he's keeping this dark secret in his life, and he's terrified, and he has no one to go to. Be careful of that. Be careful of that. All of us have something going on that might be this deep, dark secret that's hurting me, and I can't tell you because I don't trust you. An attitude, I wanted to read this because it talks about this concept of trust. An attitude of respect builds a bridge of trust between a husband and wife. Just wanted to, to remind you guys of that. Last thing. Empathy is the ability to see accurately the world from your partner's perspective. It's the most powerful, consistently rewarding action of love you can ever take. I want you to understand this right now. Empathy is the most powerful, consistently rewarding action of love you can ever take. Being empathetic, sympathizing with what they're going through, you will build bridges between you and your spouse and go find a lot of, of grace in that. Remember, once again, our relationships and marriages are not to make us happy, but to make us holy. Glory be to God forever. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.